Hi, my name is Althea, and this is the Clean Your Room podcast. This is season one, episode four of the Clean Your Room podcast, and I'm recording this on Monday, January 18th, 2021 in Los Angeles, California. Hello. Thanks once again for listening to the Clean Your Room podcast. I'm your host, Althea. I'm just a regular person with a lot of stuff trying to keep it all together. I want to thank my friend and trainer, Wendy, who requested today's cleaning and organization topic about how I became a borderline hoarder. I still am. Becoming a hoarder was a very gradual process for me. So today's a super long episode in comparison to my previous three episodes. It is basically my life story. So buckle up because I don't really take breaks. Actually, I will take a break at some point for an ad. But first, a little podcast business. Um, We have a winner for the inaugural Clean Your Room podcast giveaway of a book for $25. The winner is Jen Dupke. Jen graciously messaged me to say that she wants the $25 prize to go to either an anti-racism or children's literacy uh, fund. So instead of sending her a book, I'm making a donation of $25 to the nonprofit Literally Healing at the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. Thank you, Jen, for doing that. Um, Also, since it's Martin Luther King Jr. Day, I've decided to double down and donate also $25 to Weenie Diverse Books, which is a nonprofit that works not just to bring books to students, but also seeks to change the publishing industry uh, to produce more diverse books for all young people. So actually, that's really smart from a cleaning and organization standpoint for Jen to select a donating her prize to charity. She's not bringing a new item into her home, and she's helping these great organizations. So congratulations. Thank you, Jen. And thanks to everyone who entered and who helped create interest around the launch of my new podcast. I really appreciate it. I also want to shout out to Hazaza, who wrote in the Apple Podcast reviews about the first episode. Uh, Althea talked a little about the saying, done is better than perfect in this episode with regard to hitting publish on her podcast, but I think it also applies to the whole project of cleaning and organizing our homes. I find so often that I put off tasks when I don't feel mentally or physically prepared to do it perfectly. We all know that when we put things off, they often get much harder to tackle as problems or messiness pile up in the meantime. I'm looking forward to picking up on some tips and tricks for tackling my cleaning and organizing projects as well as the mental side of things and finding motivation to clean my room. So thank you so much for those kind words, Hazaza. Uh, We will definitely be talking about the mental side of things today. Um, If you're listening to this and finding some value in the show, whether it's instructional or entertaining, um, or, you know, just to keep you company while you're cleaning, I hope you will take a second to give a star rating on Apple Podcasts or take a minute to write a review about it. It would mean a lot to me and it helps other people discover the Clean Your Room podcast as well. You can also email me feedback or questions at info at cleanyourroompodcast.com. If you want to send an audio message, you can do that too. Just go to my link tree, which is in all of my social media profiles. Uh, it's in the first link at the top of that link tree. 
You can also go to cleanyourroompodcast.com, click on any of the show notes, and you'll see send an audio message in the right sidebar. It's super easy, and I would love to hear from you. Uh, I also wanted to mention a resource I've been following for the last couple of weeks. Uh, Not an ad, by the way. This is just something I'm doing for myself, and I thought you might like to try it also. I've been a follower of the Apartment Therapy website for a long, long time. Uh, And apparently, (laughs) I've never noticed this before, but at the start of every year, they have what they call the January Cure. It runs for 20 days, and every day in January, they send you an email with a suggestion for something that you can do to help you get your home in order for the new year that's fairly like quick and doable. Um, I actually haven't used every single tip that they have on there because some of them don't apply to me. Um, but I have actually used the first one, which is declutter a drawer over and over and over again since the 6th of January when that tip came into my inbox. Uh, and you don't have to subscribe to the email if you don't want to. Just go to their website and follow along each day. Uh, you can look at their Instagram. You can even look at tips from previous years. Uh, I also saw a PDF calendar for all of the activities that they have um, lined up for this month. Uh, So I'll put the link in the show notes, but you can also just do a web search for Apartment Therapy January Cure. Okay, just a couple more things, and I swear I will get to the point of today's episode, uh, which is my personal experience with hoarding behaviors. Uh, Speaking of decluttering drawers, my trainer, Wendy Chamorro, is the one who wanted to hear the story. In addition to kicking my butt into shape on a weekly basis, she's also an actor and she made this super fun. She listened to an episode of my podcast and then she uh, made this super funny stream of consciousness uh, video uh, about going to the container store and uh, cleaning her pantry. And there's some swearing in there in case you have kids around, you might want to throw some headphones on, but it really made my day when she sent it to me. Uh, I hope it, you know, throw some levity into your day. If you take a few minutes to watch it, maybe you can declutter a drawer or one of your pantry cabinets while you're watching. Wendy, you're inspirational. You made me laugh so hard. Thank you. And uh, the link will be in the show notes for this episode at cleanyourroompodcast.com. I'll try to put in the link tree as well if I remember. Also, I just wanted to shout out the strength code, uh, which is how I met Wendy. Uh, It's a teeny tiny gym in Burbank, California that I would go to in person before this whole pandemic thing happened. I still do my virtual workouts with Wendy through them. This is not an ad. I pay them, not the other way around. I just thought I'd give them a little promo. If you, like me, are stuck at home and need some exercise, some motivation, or someone just to tell you what to do and if you're doing it right, Uh, Or if you're local and your giant mega gym is closed or too risky to go to in terms of possible exposure to COVID-19, is one of the reasons why I got out of my giant mega gym contract, um, you should check out the strength code. It's small, it's personalized, uh, it's sanitized, it's very socially distant. I don't think I've ever been uh, even in that area with more than three other people. Um, And that that was in normal times pre COVID. Uh, They have a great HIT program that's high intensity interval training. And it's a very low time commitment weekly. The owner, Sheila Melody, and all their trainers, including Wendy, are super supportive and knowledgeable. And uh, I'm so much stronger and more energetic than when I first started going there about a year ago. So I'll put a link to them in the show notes for this episode. 
um, there'll be a regular link to their website and also a referral link um, whereby if, if you happen to use it and you sign up for some of their services, I will get a little discount off my future services. So I'll leave that entirely up to you, which you want to do. Um, okay, so I'm going to take a really quick break uh, for a note from our sponsor, and then I'll be back and we'll get into um, the meat of the episode. All right, so I am not a medical professional, so I'm not giving you the American Psychiatric Association definition of what hoarding is. I'm only talking about my own personal experience with hoarding behavior. Hoarding is a condition where a person acquires and keeps an abundance of things, often to the point of obsession. When I say the word hoarder, you might think of the reality-based television show Hoarders, which I love which talks about the emotional aspects of hoarding and tries to get people to change the way that they think and feel about their stuff. In the show, a mental health professional and a professional organizer usually bring a team of people and a fleet of dumpsters and try to help a person who is usually an extreme hoarder, someone whose tendencies towards keeping stuff have gone on so long and to such a magnitude that their home is extremely unsafe for habitation. Sometimes it's uplifting, but mostly it's sad. Um, hoarding can have very negative effects, not just on people's physical health, but on their mental well-being, their relationships, their whole lives. Um, a lot of the homes that you'll see in hoarders, hoarders uh, have the, you know, usually they're big nice homes. Um, about half of the people that they interview, I would say, are probably pretty affluent. Um, but once you get in the front door, it's so hard to move around because their houses are so full of things. It's like the walls are being propped up by stuff and you have to climb over things or like tread this narrow path from room to room. And the, you know, the rooms are unusable for whatever their original intended purpose is. You can't sit in the living room. You can't cook in the kitchen. You can't poop in the toilet. Like, you know, they're really, um, the amount of stuff that they have is not conducive to normal living conditions or sanitation or re really any kind of um, normal habitation. Uh, so I'm not that kind of hoarder. I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. So I have an overabundance of things and I will have times where parts of my home can get exceptionally cluttered. Um, and once in a while, I'll even have a, a pathway, usually not a major one, like not from like the front door to the hallway or something like that, but maybe the space behind the sofa um, might get blocked up. Uh, but there aren't usually smells and spills in our apartment. We don't normally have pests. Um, we did actually have a hoarder house next door to us, but that got demolished in the spring last year. So uh, we no longer have the pests coming into our apartment from, from that location. Um, and we have functional kitchens and bathrooms. In fact, they're pretty clean and I post them on Instagram all the time. Uh, but yeah, I do have an, an overabundance of certain types of items, which I will talk about in a little bit. 
Like many hoarders, it took me a long time to admit that I was one. I never really noticed the hoarding or thought about the reasons for those behaviors until the last time that I had to move. Before that, in my mind, I had just the right amount of stuff. And if anybody were to call me a hoarder, I I would always take it like kind of a joke. (laughs) I've had to move from one country to another, from East Coast to the West Coast, but actually the hardest moves I've ever had to do were the last two that we did about five and maybe like eight or nine years ago. Um, And those involved locations that were less than 30 minutes apart here in Los Angeles. Having to move so many things in a limited amount of time really made me think about the reasons why I had so much stuff. And it made me start to try to confront my behaviors and really try to manage them. One reason I think these moves were so much harder than the cross-country ones and the international ones is um, it's much more expensive to move cross-country or from continent to continent. The amount of stuff you bring with you is limited to how many bags you can afford to check in on the plane, uh, whether you're driving a truck across the country, which I've never done, uh, or renting a moving pod, which also I've never done, or shipping boxes, which I have done, and like literally shipping as in they will go on a ship in the ocean and take several months to reach their destination. Still expensive, not as expensive as a pod or, you know, driving a truck cross country if you're stopping and staying in hotels, but pretty expensive. Um, but when you're just moving across town, you think, hey, it's no problem. I'll just load up the car after work and I'll take a few boxes over to the new place and we'll be done moving in no time, which is super not true. Um, having that kind of plan allows you to keep way more things than you would have if it was going to cost you more to move those things a much longer distance. Uh, And then hoarding disorder behaviors are usually rooted in some type of anxiety, sometimes trauma for some people. They have a significant person in their life die unexpectedly or divorce them, or they're the victim of abuse. They might have a health issue or something, something else that's just beyond their control. And it's not so much that I've endured difficult tragedies in my life. I've actually, all things considered, had a pretty good life. Uh, In fact, that's why I think I'm really on the low, barely made the checklist end of hoarding disorder. Um, But the state of my clutter does depend on how much stress I'm feeling at any given time. And the reasons that I have for hanging on to things come up again and again in literature and media about hoarding. So again, this is not the full range of uh, reasons and behaviors and rationales of hoarding, but here are my top five hoarding rationales. Um, Number one, hoarders have a hard time parting with unnecessary items because we always have really good reasons. Those reasons to us sound totally like good, reasonable beliefs. Uh, For example, uh, this item is one of a kind. It's limited edition. I may never be able to get one again. 
and I might need it someday and I already have it now, so I'm just going to keep it. Or I might know someone who might need this someday. Um, another variation on this uh, rationale is, oh, there's two of us, so I should buy this in pairs. Or I like this thing so much, I should get another in case this one breaks or gets stained or torn. Um, or the all-encompassing reason, I just like it. It makes me happy. This rationale is part of why KonMari is something I have to do over and over and over to have any sort of effect on my stuff because almost always when I touch one of my objects, I feel happy. It sparks joy. And so I keep it, <laughs> which leads to me having more stuff than I should. Uh, and also this leads me to rationale number two. Number two is hoarders attach feelings to the items that we have. Uh, some people will associate things with the person that gave it to them. And maybe the person is not there anymore, but the thing is still here. And so the thing can never be gotten rid of. If I keep the thing, I keep alive the memory of that person. Things are souvenirs, memorabilia. In my case, it's more of a self-identity thing. I keep this thing because it fits the vision of who I want to be or something that I wanted to be that I, I can't be because of some circumstance. Um, for example, uh, I'm a stamp collector. Therefore, I acquire and I keep stamps. I'm sewing masks for a good cause, so I'm going to buy fabric because I'm being so productive. I'm using it all up really fast, so I need to buy more. Uh, I'm a knitter, therefore I buy and I keep yarn and I'll store it even if it will be years before I actually knit something with it. Like months could go by and I'll have forgotten why I bought that yarn, but it's important that I got it because I might not be able to get it at some other point in the future. Um, and that's just the surface of the rationale. The real reasons are I'm a stamp collector because my grandfather, my Lolo, as we say in Tagalog, taught me about stamp collecting. And when I was a child, I foolishly lost his amazing stamp collection. I can never get those items back. Uh, and he passed away decades ago, and I can never get him back. But I can collect new stamps. <laughs> so you see where, like, this, you know, the satisfaction is uh, resulting from uh, getting this item to satisfy that feeling of being close to my grandfather. Um, how about sewing masks? So I'm sewing masks because we're in the middle of a pandemic and I want to feel useful. And I feel guilty because I have a fairly cushy job that allows me to work from home instead of being on the front lines, helping people with their health or with the day-to-day -day necessities like groceries or education or keeping infrastructure running smoothly. Uh, another example, I'm a knitter because it's meditative. And it's creative. It's my creative outlet. It's my preferred form of self-care. Even though it's literally work. Knitting, knitting is literally fabricating. Making fabric from another material one loop at a time. Ad nauseum until you have a sweater or a shawl or a sock or whatever you're making. 
Rationale number three, regardless of the actual value of the item, it has value to the hoarder. As in, I already paid for it. I'd be losing money if I throw it away or donate it, or I got it on sale. I, it was a good deal. Uh, I got it for free. It's a collectible. Uh, I might be sell it I might be able to sell it for a lot of money if I hang on to it long enough. It'll become an antique or it, it'll be rare and it'll be worth more. Um, it doesn't matter if I spent money on it and how the money that I spent far exceeds the actual value of the item now as perceived objectively by someone else. Uh, and it doesn't matter that I don't really have any intention to sell, gift, or donate this item ever. The whole point of hoarding is to keep the items. And, and in some cases, the item might be broken and the hoarder slash me, I might keep talking about my intention to fix that item, give it a new coat of paint, uh, or upcycle it into something useful or decorative. Again, we may never get to the point where that's actually done, but we will think about it and talk about it and take pictures of it. Uh, and as we turn it over in our heads, we'll continue to see value where really there is none. Rationale number four, it's hard to make decisions and I don't have to make this decision right now. All of the above leads to indecision on the part of the hoarder. Not necessarily about acquiring things, because when we're about to get a thing, the answer usually is, yes, I need to get this thing. I need to buy it or pick it up off the curb. Something that might probably uh, best be put in the trash or recycling. I can usually think of a way to reuse that item. And I'll have trouble sometimes deciding whether or not I should keep something. Uh, and then mostly when I do decide to keep the thing, I'll have trouble deciding where to put it. Uh, this tendency to keep things also feeds a desire to figure out the perfect storage system because that will mean I can keep the thing I wanna keep and not have to argue about it being in the way or having too much of it or having too many of the thing. Uh, and also, if it's stored properly and it's out of sight, um, ages could go by. And I still haven't put it to its intended use, but I have it and it's organized, quote unquote. So it's taken care of. Um, there's also a hoarder habit called churning, which basically means moving things from one location to another as if this is quote unquote cleaning. Uh, for example, and you can view this on Instagram, I cleared my dinner table, work table area uh, a couple of weeks ago and guess where the papers and random things that I could not decide uh, what to do with those things at the time ended up. Uh, they ended up in a box which is sitting next to my office chair uh, it's what's left over from everything else that I rearranged and put into place from that project. And every couple of days, I take out one thing, maybe two, 
and I try to make a decision. Do I file this? Do I shred this? Do I make a note of it? Do I take a picture and throw it away? Um, and usually I'll come to, you know, I, I don't have time to make this decision now. Can I do this later? Sure, I'll put it on my to-do list. I'll reprioritize this. I'll do it later. I'll put it on the to-do list for tomorrow. Maybe I'll get to it next week. Oh, by, by next Thursday, for sure, I'll have taken care of this. So disorganization can extend not just from our physical space, but also through time. That indecision can lead to procrastination, and procrastination leads to a bunch of stuff sitting around in places where they don't belong. Um, and then rationale five, it's not my stuff that's the problem. It's my space that's too small. So this can take so many forms. Um, I don't have my own room in this split, in this place. Uh, my room isn't big enough or this apartment doesn't have enough built-in storage. Maybe I need more containers. Maybe I need a storage unit. <laughs> It all boils down to, I need more room to put my stuff, which I must acquire and cannot stop acquiring, even though I've run out of space and my stuff is excessive. Can you see where this is going? So when a hoarder says this on the show, Hoarders, I always go, oh, no, you don't. You don't need more space. You need less stuff. You don't need a storage unit. You need to get rid of the stuff that you have now. And yet when it comes to myself and say that new yarn shop that I want to support or that new fabric collection that just came out from Ruby Star or when I see a cooking gadget that I don't, I don't have a pasta roller uh, and it fits my KitchenAid stand mixer that I already have. You just have to have it. Or look, so-and-so, my favorite author, who's also a friend of mine, has a new book. That was just published, so I have to support them. Then, then that, oh no, you don't thought is just the furthest thing from my mind. I'm sure there are more reasons and thought patterns that I haven't mentioned, but these five are the big ones for me. As for the categories of items that I collect to excess, they are very specific. Mine are books, yarn, fabric, and art supplies. Uh, lots of people have clothes, books, paperwork, and everything else, which is why the Kamari categories fall into these item types. But I generally have most of my things under control, except for these four categories that all fall under the everything else umbrella. Um, art supplies, I have an abundance because I used to be an art major a long, long time ago even though my fourth and final major ended up being a business degree. And the thing that I want to go to school for next is completely different. Uh, not necessarily um, one of the things that I've previously studied for. It's been ages since I drew or painted anything, but I already bought them. I already have them. Even though I've never used them, I could potentially use them someday. What if I don't have the right watercolors when the inspiration finally strikes? What if I have the wrong brushes for the technique that I want to use? So I need to keep all of these different brushes that I bought in community, community college 20 years ago. Um, 
my excuse actually to acquire more art supplies right now is the grad prep program that I'm in, which is for architecture school. Um, and the rationale is, well, it's for school. So it's okay if I buy these 20 fancy pens that I'm not sure will work, but they look cool. Uh, in the last move that we did, I also noticed that because my art supplies took up relatively fewer boxes and weighed less than my collection of books, it felt okay to keep as many of them as I wanted. I don't think I got rid of anything until after we'd already moved to the current apartment. And what I did was I got a friend to take some oil paints from me. I think two bins of oil paints, uh, turp, and, you know, just all the associated paraphernalia, pa palette, paper, and stuff like that. And then, of course, a week later, I promptly went and bought myself new oil paints. <laughs> And then uh, for fabric, not only did I buy a ton of fabric last year, specifically for mask making, the last time I was in the Philippines, I brought home to Los Angeles about half the collection of fabric that my mama had in her condo in the Philippines. I'm talking fabric that my grandmother bought when she was alive. Um, she died in 1983. <laughs> I'm talking the old strawberry shortcake bed sheets that I had since I was a little girl that used to be white but are now almost fully gray and not useful for anything, but I brought them home with me. Um, I brought home a tiny apron that I sewed in the fifth grade, which is probably my first thing that I ever sewed on a sewing machine. Uh, I brought home a pot holder that my grandmother bought as like a kit, like a pre-printed, pre-quilted kit that my mother never finished sewing and that I started trying to sew, I think maybe when I was in high school or college, but I didn't know what I was doing. So it just sat unfinished in a trunk in my mother's condo for over 20 years. And now for the past couple of years, it's been sitting in my closet and I'm going to get to it someday. It's, it's on my list definitely before the next time that we move because that fabric cord is now almost as large and almost as heavy as my book cord and that's saying something for yarn i am for sure a sucker for color texture independent independent dyed yarn um, i have yarn companies and knitwear designers that i follow on instagram and whenever they post something new or something on sale, it's really hard not to want to buy every new thing that comes across the feed. Um, it's not just the yarn itself that I have in abundance. So what if the needle that I need to make this pattern is currently holding some other unfinished project? Knitters, they know what I'm talking about. Maybe I should buy a set of interchangeable needles, and that way I'll always have the right size needle and cable for the project that I want to make. Or maybe I'll get this yarn that's the right size and the right quantity for this project, but what if the color doesn't work out? I should totally get a quantity of yarn in this other color in the same yarn just in case I start the project and I don't like this other color. And I won't be able to return the other yarn either because this is going to sit here for years. I just ha have to find another project for it. Um, during the early part of the pandemic, I used buying yarn to quell my anxiety about things that were out of my control. I couldn't control the state of the country. I couldn't control the spread of the virus. I couldn't help anybody. 
except myself and my husband, really. But I could buy myself yarn and feel happy when the yarn arrives. I can open the box and pet it and smell it and take pictures and post them on Instagram and I can tag the maker. I can look at my knitting patterns and decide what it's going to be for. And then I'll wind the yarn and I'll post an Instagram story of my cat being fascinated by winding the yarn. And then I'll put the yarn in a bin or a box and never cast it on because I have no time to knit and I have all these other projects and things I've decided to do instead. So that's that's my yarn category being out of control right now. Uh, oh, actually, I just thought of another category, houseplants. So I previously have considered myself to be a black thumb. But since I took a class last year with the plant stylist, uh, Hilton Carter, we got to see him in a Zoom call at work. I bought his books, of course. Uh, and I started following a ton of plant people on Instagram. And I did my best to uh, change my routine so that I'm taking care of the plants in our home. I'm doing my best to be that plant mom. Uh, and in my hoarder head, that translates into having as many plants as it is humanly possible to have in a two-bedroom apartment. Um, I will be sure to share those with you on Instagram. Uh, to be fair to me, I don't actually have that many plants indoors. Uh, and also, in terms of the way that I acquired the plants, uh, some of them we already had. A few of them, my lovely friend Rose uh, graciously... Uh, just kind of like pulled them out of the ground in her garden in her garden and stuck them in a box and I came over one day and picked them up. <laughs> so that's really sweet, Rose. Thank you. You saved me a lot of money. Um, and your plants make me very happy. They're doing really well. Um, so I'll be sure to share those uh, plant photos with you on Instagram and on TikTok. I, actually, I think that's all I have on my TikTok right now is like cat ASMR and plants. Um, and I will also share some links to some of my favorite plant sources, even though this in no way is an encouragement for you to also become a plant hoarder. Um, so now we get to my biggest collection category. Number one, always and forever is books. Um, I was raised as a bookworm. My family read to me from a very young age. Uh, I had a huge collection of picture books. I had a Sesame Street encyclopedia, which I still have. I'm 42, you guys. I still have my Sesame Street encyclopedia. I took it home with me the last time I went to the Philippines. Um, and then uh, when I was in high school, I became a Borders bookseller. Uh, Borders opened for the first time in Glendale, California in 1996. I think I was a junior or senior in high school. Um, and as an employee, you get a discount. I think I got, as a part-timer, I got 33% because you don't get benefits as a part-timer. And then if you were a full-timer, you got 25%. And everybody got 10% on magazines because the, uh, um, the markup on magazines is not very high. So... I regularly bought things and uh, the rationales would always be, oh, it's on sale or I'm getting my discount. Or if a coupon would come out that was better than my employee discount, I could make those buying decisions really easily. 
Um, if something was in bargain books, I had to have it. Uh, I don't know if you uh, were ever a border shopper, but if you remember those giant bargain book kits that came with like an exercise DVD and a yoga mat, I could not resist those. If there was a copy of a book for free, I had to take it home, even if I wasn't going to read it immediately or ever in some cases. Publishers do that for um, uh, promotional copies of books are called advanced reader copies. And uh, back in the day, anyway, we used to occasionally get them from our publishing reps. Sometimes they would just come in the mail. Uh, sometimes we would have a lovely friend of ours from Random House uh, come over and just talk to us and leave us a box of cool books. Uh, shout out to Wade Lucas, if you're listening to this. Um, if someone I liked was signing books at the store, oh man, of course I had to have that. It's autographed. It might be worth something someday. Or they signed my name in it, so now I have to have it. I could always come up with a reason why I needed that particular book. Like, this is my only chance to get this. If I don't get it, we might not get it back in stock ever again. Or someone else will get the autograph first edition, etc., etc. The thing is, there are and were so many ways to get books for free. Borders even had a loan program, so I could actually have just borrowed any book that I wanted to read from the store and read it at home without paying for it. Um, Public libraries, Glendale Public Library was a block from us. They existed back then, and now it's even better because you can borrow ebooks and audiobooks from the comfort of your own home. Uh, I would still buy books, though. I still buy books now, even though I use my Libby app and uh, the LAPL ebook and audiobook uh, ordering system. Oh, I even I even borrow magazines from Los Angeles Public Library, but I still buy magazines. And I still buy books. Guess why? Uh, you've heard the rationales by now. Guess which ones uh, usually apply to the books section. It was on sale. It fits my interests. It's signed. It's a limited edition. I got a discount on it. I'm supporting my local bookstore. This is a new one. And you know, if you've listened to previous episodes uh, of the Clean Your Room podcast, that um, even though it's like, kind of, well, kind of super unrelated to uh, cleaning and organization on the surface, super related to hoarding behaviors on my part. Uh, I'm a huge supporter of independent bookstores now that Borders is bankrupt and gone. Um, And I always, in my show notes, will leave a little list of um, the independent bookstores that I support. So yeah, I'm supporting my local bookstore is a hoarding behavior rationale that I have for myself. Um, I also think to myself, so I I read pretty widely and I also have a lot of nonfiction like instructional books. So one of the rationales is I might need it later when I decide to become a novelist or a chef or a fashion designer or an upholsterer. What if I decide to get back into woodworking? I really loved woodworking when I was in middle school. The list just goes on and on. Um, I can think of so many reasons to get so many books. I even also, uh, during the latter part of the early 2000s, I started a book blog because I was getting heavily into young adult books, not just because they were fun, 
but because uh, the bookstore business wasn't doing so hot at the time. And we needed creative ways to get people buying books. And that was a way I had of uh, creating excitement and trying to get people to come to our store for events. Um, but also as a separate thing, uh, when you're a book blogger just starting out, you're not really getting promotional advanced reader copies. So you're buying the books you're reviewing or you're borrowing from the library or borrowing from the store. But if they're really new, they're probably on a shorter loan program. Like instead of being due in three weeks, it's due in like five days. Um, and it's better if you just buy it so you don't have to rush yourself. Then once you're an established book blogger and publishers are sending you promos or you're going to conventions and you're meeting authors or you're hosting book events. And of course, you have to buy a copy of the book to support the author. And it's one more book that you can say that you sold at the event. Um, so are you creating a mental picture of how much stuff I was acquiring with these rationales? Um, so I've, I started working at Borders in 1996 and I worked there on and off for 13 years. And in the intervening year since the store closed, um, I've also been doing, uh, book events and running a book festival. So it is a lot of books that I acquired since 1996. Um, two moves ago, I estimated that I had roughly 4,000 books and maybe only a hundred or so of them were my husband's. Most of them were mine. Uh, my husband and I are also huge movie buffs uh, and he's also really into music. And at the time, so we started uh, dating 20 no, 21 years ago, and streaming services were not a thing when we first got together. Record stores like Aaron's, Amoeba, Virgin, Tower, we were in those stores every week. We also bought CDs from Borders. Um, and then we also love anime. So, you know, we were over at Suncoast. Rest in peace, Suncoast. We were there once a month looking at what was new. So add to books. DVDs, CDs, anything entertainment related, comic books, video games, board games, magazines. And this was before streaming anything or e-anything was really a possibility. So you can imagine all this stuff took up a lot of space. It was a huge pain in the butt to move them all from place to place. And we, we moved in together uh, with our first apartment, I think within a year of, of starting to date. Um, and this is one, two, three. This is our fourth apartment together. <laughs> and the first move that we did was just from across the hall to a bigger apartment across the hall. Uh, the move after that was the first really hard one that took like a month. Uh, and that was the one where we moved 4,000 books. Uh, the move after that, which is the one from apartment three to the current apartment that we're at. Um, I did make some changes. Uh, I don't even know if I should mention this in the podcast, but it was also still really hard. And it is the, uh, it took a month and then it took on the final day of the move where we hired movers it took almost $2,000 and five guys and our friend, David, who I cannot ever repay 
him except for maybe to exempt him from ever having to help us move ever again. Sorry, David. Um, okay, I digress. So yeah, moving books, DVDs, CDs, etc. is very, very difficult. Huge pain in the butt. Um, over the years, I also worked for a few other retail companies and that employee discount reasoning still applied. It would be like, it's employee appreciation day and it's only once a year. So I'm going to stock up what I'll need until next time. And we go through a bar of soap every month. So I need 12 bars of soap because they're going to be 60% off with my discount. Um, the rationale, I mean, it applies to so many things if you work certain places. And uh, to this day, I have soap and lotion that I bought while working at Crabtree and Evelyn, uh, Crabtree and Evelyn in the early 2000s. So how am I coping with these things that really have taken over my life? And mind you, I'm just a borderline hoarder. I'm not even a more complicated level of hoarder. And it's already these things affect um, the amount of stress and time and energy that I have just by being there. Um, so it's kind of hard for me to talk about coping with this by category. So instead, I'm going to go back to the original list of my top five hoarding rationales. So number one, having a hard time letting go of things. Uh, I'm trying to work on this in two ways. One side is to try to get rid of more stuff. And the other side is to try to acquire less things. While I've gotten better at not accepting free promotional items, unless it's something I really, really want, I also started to emphasize to people in my life that I do not need more things. Um, I have tons of stuff. My husband and I have lived together for two decades, so combined, we have quite a lot of things we do not need more. Uh, get The getting rid of things side actually right now is really suffering from the pandemic and not having a lot of avenues to get rid of items. There have been a couple of times where we were just like, we just need to get this item out of our house. We take a picture and post it on Craigslist and give like a general area and then like kind of push it to like in front of somebody else's building and leave it there and keep checking until it was gone. So uh, that's worked for us for a couple of like big furniture items. Uh, luckily, there are a lot of furniture scavengers in in this area of L.A. Um, and then for getting rid of books, uh, every fall, usually we have a big book giveaway at the end of Pasadena Loves YA, which is the book festival that I usually help produce for the Pasadena Library here in California. And usually I can get rid of a few hundred books every fall that way. But because of COVID and quarantine, we did not have the festival last year, and who knows when that will be possible again. So in the meantime, under my dining table, I have at least five boxes and counting of books awaiting for new homes. I did a few months ago, like maybe six months ago in the summer, dropped off a box of uh, children's books for uh, at my friend's house in L.A. because she has a little free library on her street. And so that might be one way, but it's also just like, it's so weird trying to give people things 
uh, when we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's like you want to make sure you're not the person that contaminates something that gives COVID to your friend or their family member. Um, so yeah, getting getting rid of stuff during a pandemic, not so easy as one might think. Um, as for the other side, acquiring less. I think I'm doing a fair job. I'm not A+. plus. I haven't gone cold turkey by nothing. I just think that would be a step too far for me. Um, I still have trouble saying no to sales at times because, you know, I love a good deal. But I have consciously not bought things, which I feel would have been perfectly reasonable to buy, as in something I needed and it was a good price, and I still said no. Uh, So I think I'm doing fair in that category. Uh, I try to manage this rationale um, by tracking three new things in my diary this year. A, I'm tracking the items that I bring in and take out of the home. I don't mean just like cardboard boxes, but like the stuff, the actual stuff that I, if I order something, um, I try to track it in my diary and then I try to think of something that can leave the (laughs) leave the home, or at least prepare to leave the home um, in its place. Uh, B is a running total of the money that I have spent on tangible things. So uh, included on this tally would be things like clothing or books, as opposed to, say, food or charitable donations or a Netflix subscription, which at this point is practically a utility. And then I'm tracking the number of days per week that I didn't buy anything. Although I am finding that what that results in is me trying to cram all my purchases into one day instead of spreading them out over the week so I can keep a streak going. Um, But yeah, I'm working on it. All of this is just a work in progress. And I think it's just going to take time to see any changes in my behavior. So rationale two, attaching feelings to the items we have. So I already knew this before I ever read this quote, but Stephen King, uh, there's a quote from Stephen King that says, quote, if you want to be a writer, you must do two things above all others, read a lot and write a lot, end quote. I spent a lot of my younger years thinking, I was going to be an author, a novelist. I was going to go to Yale and write the great American novel, and it was going to be so great. I didn't need to write another. I would just spend the rest of my life collecting checks and supposedly working on my next big big hit while being a recluse in the mountains or something like that. Well, so writing this podcast is actually the most writing I have done in a long, long time. So to deal with this rationale, I'm trying to redirect my attachment to the books and other writer, writerly paraphernalia, instead of attaching to those books and blank books and pens and things, I'm trying to redirect my emotional attachment to the act of writing and the act of reading instead. So, yeah, I'll have to get back to you on how that's working. Um I'm trying to detach my feelings from the things that I've purchased in other categories as well. The fabric, the yarn, 
And I'm trying to elevate the things that I possess that are truly one of a kind, like letters from my parents or postcards from my traveling doctor aunts or my grandmother's nightdress, which is still one of my most favorite things that I own in the whole world, even though it doesn't fit me. It's not so much the things that matter, or I I want to tell myself it's not the things that matter, it's the feelings and the memories that they bring about that are of value. So I think at some point I will have to let go certain personas that I've given myself in order to release my hold on the stuff that those personas generate, but also I'm hoping that in doing so, I'll give myself back more time. And I'll have more energy to do the things that I really want to do with my life. So rationale three, regardless of the actual value of the item, it has value to the hoarder. So I'll try to go through this real quick. At some point before our last move, I had hundreds upon hundreds of design magazines. I used to subscribe to them, store them up, and every few years or so, I would bring them home to my parents. I had Architectural Digest and Dwell and Wallpaper. I had every Martha Stewart magazine, every spin-off magazine from her empire. I had Ready-Made. I had every issue of Make magazine. I also probably had 4,000 books. So a combination of books I bought when I was a bookseller, crafting books, cookbooks, coffee table books, books I got for free for blogging, you name it. And we were getting down to the wire for that move. We'd already spent three weeks moving things, and there was still yet more to box up and bring over to the new place. So I finally caved. I took a photo of the bulk of my magazine collection, which had been gathering dust in a bookshelf that I tucked behind our bed bed headboard. Um, and a guy on Craigslist uh, bought it. For a few hundred bucks, I think I gave him... I would estimate like 500 magazines, (laughs) which I guess is a really good price for magazines, which, you know, really he should probably should not even have paid me. I should have been paying him to haul them away. Um, This exercise, however, I came to realize that I'd been assessing their value incorrectly. And that is one of the things that really helped me stop assigning that value rationale to items that I might be tempted into buying. Uh, I do still buy things, but only if they have value to me right now in their intended use and not some future perceived value that may never come true from selling the item. Uh, I try to remind myself of all of those uh, hoarders that I've seen on the show who are like, oh, but the reason why I have so many books is because I'm going to open a library. And it's like, no, you're never going to open a library. Two, all of those books have been pooped on by rats and mice, and no one's going to want those books. (laughs) Like, it's just trying to think of um, the value that these items have beyond uh, the purchase price that I'm giving them, I guess, Um, and beyond some imaginary value that they are going to um, appreciate while I have them, which, again, unless you're talking like jewelry or like fine art or something like that, uh, these things do not appreciate. Um, And then once I, hopefully, 
once I no longer see that value in them, then it can be easier for me to let these things go, whether that's through selling them or donating them, recycling or trash. And then rationale four. So indecision, I actually still struggle with this daily. I think this might be the hardest thing. Deciding what to keep. Where do I keep it? Deciding to let things go. I'm trying to be better at dealing with things uh, as they come across my desk. Um, Shredding paperwork immediately. Recycling instead of reusing. And really trying not to buy more things. But more often than not, what I'll end up with is piles. Or things in boxes that sit around for ages. And then the piles just migrate from place to place in the apartment. That's that churning behavior that I talked about earlier. I'm definitely not in a great place with this aspect of my hoarding behaviors. This is definitely one that I will have to keep working on and circle back to in a future episode. And though we don't have any plans to move in the near future, it's something that I will want to tackle before that eventually happens because indecision means procrastination, procrastination means piles, And piles mean more stuff to box up and move to a new place where it will also sit in a box of indecision until I force myself to deal with it. Side note, by the way, I have a friend that I hope is listening who recently moved in with her girlfriend. So she uh, DM'd me about this very thing. And friend, if you are listening, I would love to have you on the show. So message me. Um, Okay, side note is over. Lastly, rationale five, it's the old, my space is too small trick. So it took me a long while to realize, and we've, we've been in this apartment for um, five and a half years now. This is the biggest apartment we've ever had. It's not huge. It's about a thousand square feet. Uh, It's a two bedroom, has two bathrooms, has a ton of built-in storage, has more counter space than I've ever had in a kitchen, even like a kitchen that was, you know, our own condo. But I need to also remember that I don't have to have something to put in all of those storage spaces. I don't need more containers. I need less of them. I would like to be able to enjoy my space more fully by having less stuff. I would like to have more time to do things that I enjoy. If I'm not spending time endlessly reorganizing and churning things that already have a place to live, uh, or if I'm looking, wasting time looking for things that I misplace because I have too many things. So while I'm going around reorganizing areas of my apartment, I am trying to envision them not just as I would like them to look and function for now, but also to envision how much easier it will be to complete our next move if we're not burdened by the overabundance of the things that we have to pack. Now, I know people with hoarding tendencies, and I know people with the opposite, discarding tendencies. It can be really tricky for both kinds of people to get along in the same household. I've lived with both kinds of people at different times in my life, and while I still have little to no insight on minimalists and people who tend to discard things, I do hope that talking about my relationship with stuff has offered you a bit more insight into the mind of a borderline hoarder. Uh, If you want to read more about hoarding, there's a pretty good book called Stuff 
Compulsive Hoarding and the Meaning of Things by Randy O. Frost and Gail Stecky. And I'll put a link to that in the comments. I'll have you know also I did once own a physical copy of this book. I donated it somewhere at some point, and instead of buying another copy to refresh my memory about it for this episode, I borrowed the ebook from the library. So there, Althea One Hoarding, well, Hoarding's not zero. Hoarding currently holds quite a high score over me, but I'm determined to turn the tables on it at least before our next big move, whenever that may be. So that's it for today. I'll be back next week with more cleaning tips and maybe a little less oversharing. Uh, I'll also, I plan to bring more guests on soon to talk about their cleaning challenges. So I hope that you will subscribe and come back to listen to more of the show. Again, if you take photos or videos of your space before and after organization and would like to share them with the rest of the audience, please use the hashtag clean your room podcast challenge to share these on Instagram and TikTok. You can follow me on both platforms at Clean Your Room Podcast. I'm also on Twitter as Fruit Juice. That's F-R-O-O-T-J-O-O-S. Think Fruit Loops, but with juice. We also have a Facebook page and a Facebook group if you'd like to discuss, ask questions, or share your cleaning challenges. You can find links to that from my social media profiles, Linktree, and cleanyourroompodcast.com. If you have a cleaning or organizing question you'd like me to answer on this podcast, or if you have ideas for topics you would like me to cover, you can find the links to how to send an audio message and all of my social media on cleanyourroompodcast.com. You can also email in to info at cleanyourroompodcast.com. Again, you'll find this and all the rest of the links I've mentioned at cleanyourroompodcast.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so in a variety of ways. You can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. You can rate or review the show. You can make a monthly contribution through our Anchor.fm page, and you can even shop from our bookshop page, which also supports independent bookstores across the country with every purchase. I just added a couple of Lara's books on there. We also have some from Ashlyn Anstey, who did our logo. Uh, so that's where you should go. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash clean your room podcast. Clean Your Room Podcast is hosted and produced by me, Althea Alire. The original opening music is called Bubble Guts, also composed by me. The podcast logo was illustrated by Ashlyn Anstey. You can find more about her artwork and writing at ashlynna.com. This episode was sponsored by and produced on Anchor FM. Thanks for listening. This is Althea signing off and reminding you to clean your room.